Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. the Commercial Property Investor podcast, where we aim to give you the knowledge and the confidence to move from residential property investment and spread your wings into the commercial sector, where there's some fantastic returns to be had. But sometimes the industry can seem a little bit opaque and difficult to find out what's going on. And that's barriers put up by people in the industry. And sometimes there's just a little bit too cloudiness when actually a bit of clarity is going to help you see the opportunities because there are lots of opportunities in this sector. And this podcast is about trying to identify those opportunities for you and to try and clear away some of the smoke so you can actually see how this industry works. And in this second episode on our experiences of the storage container business, I'm going to talk about three key areas, right? So the first one is finding and analysing sites. Second one is funding. And then the third one is just a little bit thrown in about cash flow tips, about how you can manage this business when you're getting started in terms of cash. And in the market update, which we just released a couple of days ago, I mentioned how strong the storage business really is. And it's one of the sectors that's held up really well for us. And we continue to look for more opportunities. And in episode 35, I gave a brief introduction to the container storage business. That's where I started talking about this. And we shared some of our experiences so far with this, well, what is really a great cash flowing income stream. And the next session after this, I'll be diving into the day-to-day operational side of things. And I'm going to cover some of the hidden costs because it's not all sweet smells and roses. After that, I'm going to go into another session all about finding customers and marketing for your container storage offering. There are more and more opportunities to get information out there about the storage industry and container storage sites. But the Commercial Property Podcast is not singularly about container storage, and I'm very conscious of that. Nor is it focused, though, on industrial offices or retail, for that matter. I want to cover lots of different areas of the commercial market. So you have a breadth of knowledge to choose with confidence which parts are going to suit you and your strategy. Container storage has been a really good additional income stream for us as part of a bigger mix on our multi-let sites. So I just thought it was important to remind myself and you that this is not the shiny silver bullet. It's a great part of the product mix, but I want you to understand that the container storage business for us has been part of our bigger mix. It's not been an individual product that we've gone out and developed sites just purely for that. I think it works really, really well with multi-let sites. And in fact, we've had storage containers on our commercial sites since the very early days, over 15 years ago. And some of those containers have brought in individually have brought in nearly £15,000 each over that time, which is not a bad return considering the container's cost 
around about £1,300 each. So I'm going to dive straight in. We're going to talk about finding and analysing sites, funding and cash flow tips. Just before recording this series, I did ask in the Facebook group for some questions for anybody that wants to know a bit more about storage containers, which was great. And John O'Donnell asked where works best. And really, this is about finding and analysing sites. And one of the best ways to research for not just storage containers, but office space, industrial and everything else is looking at the competition and not just the local competition and not just containers, but look further afield and look at different types of stores that potential customers are currently using. For example, they might be using the corner of a farmer's shed or a lockup garage or even a closed retail unit. They might be using their parents' spare garage or outbuildings. There's lots of different places people store stuff. So sometimes it's not as easy to find out about that. But the more you gather the information about what people are doing locally, because every area does have storage requirements, is trying to find out what people are using and what the competition is right now. And of course, there's other ways of doing that. It's looking at websites. There are even some platforms now that will collate things about storage sites, but not they're not as well populated as they maybe could be. These places, though, are going to give you things that you need to know, like pricing. What are people pricing their container storage at? What's their occupancy like? And probably more importantly, what's the product type? And what is the overall offering? Because not every storage container site is the same. Some will have 24-hour access. Some will have super-duper security. Some of them will have less so. Some of them, the access is great. Others, it's not. So it's trying to find out what the offer is and where the gaps are. So that's a lot of the analysis of how a site's going to work. Okay, but in terms of actually finding sites, well, obviously one is to go out and look for land. Okay, and you need to be thinking about, well, this is not obviously going to be necessarily um, land zoned for residential. You're needing to look probably more around industrial states or parks where the land or the associated land around about is already zoned for that type of use. But often you'll find it's an older building that's maybe fallen out of use or even it's been knocked down, it's just now a concrete slab. These are good because you've got a footing there straight away to put containers on. Because if it's more of a messed up site, or I wouldn't say a green site, but obviously a brownfield site, but one where there's not really any hard standing, you're going to have to put all that in, which does add to the cost. So when you're looking at land, of course, there's different alternatives, isn't there? One is you go out and buy it, right? And that's going to cost some money. Now, you might be able to get some funding on that. Possibly not high street funding, I would say. The other alternative is to lease the land. Potentially, you could lease the land. Potentially, you could lease the containers. That's going to keep your costs in terms of your capital expenditure down. But it's finding, as I say, a piece of ground that's not necessarily going to need loads of groundworks done to it because the previous use has left you with a slab or with hard standing to put the containers on. Alternatively, you could buy a commercial building that kind of works all right for the numbers. Maybe there's a tenant in it, maybe there isn't. And then create your container offering on the ground that comes with it. Sometimes that bit of ground is not really valued anywhere near as much as it would be if it was actually standalone. And that's really what we've done. We've taken nooks and crannies on our sites and put containers on them. It's effectively ground that we bought with the building. And the value wasn't really taken from the land. It was taken from the property and the income property was producing. 
So if you add it on to an existing property that either you have or you're, or you're going to potentially be buying, then it doesn't have to be 50 containers that you're putting on there. It could be half a dozen. Six containers at £100 a month, say, is going to bring in another £7,000 a year. It's not a bad little extra income. So when you're looking out for sites, yes, you need to think about the geography and what the zoning is, but it could be that it's not just a plain site you're looking for. It could be that one that's already got income through a particular building. And as long as the lease that that occupant has taken is not covering all the land or you can negotiate that out, then you have an opportunity to put on some containers. Let me introduce you to a key partner for our storage container business. Willbox has over 20 locations throughout the UK and their own transport, which is just one of the reasons we choose to use Willbox for our container requirements. All of their products are available for hire, lease purchase or outright purchase, so you can create a balance between capital expenditure up front and cash flow over the longer term. They also have their own in-house fabrication and conversion facilities which allows them to create bespoke container or modular designs just for you and as part of their service the team provide a fully comprehensive self-storage consultancy package to anyone looking to expand their current sites or breaking into this fast-growing industry. Now I'm really excited to tell you Wheelbox are currently offering a free aerial site survey for you, our listeners. Just quote CPI Network when you get in touch and they'll create a site drawing showing your optimal container layout. Now that's really useful. Perfect for you to maximise your drive up storage ideas. So check out the show notes or simply type Wheelbox into your browser and reach out to their amazing team to discuss how Wheelbox can be a key partner to you unlocking your self-storage goals. So another question was from Ashley Reed. She asked, can you double or triple stack containers? And yes, you can. But it will depend on a couple of things. One is the footings or the foundations, which we were just talking about. What is the load-bearing capacity of the ground? Or are you going to have to really put in some of that yourself? What does local planning think? They're going to have an opinion on container storage full stop, but they're also going to have uh, an opinion on whether it's double-stacked or triple-stacked and how that impacts the local area. And... You know, there is going to need to be some access for the double or triple stacking. And often people will build um, metal platforms that run right along, which is obviously going to give you a bit extra cost. But then on a tight site in an area where the containers are premium, the numbers might work out. But of course, the other aspect is people like to be able to drive up to the door. And if their container is 10 in a line, in the middle, um, up some steps along a walkway, they may not necessarily be willing to take that or pay as much for it. Just things to think about. Planning permission though, which I just mentioned there, it is important of course, and it's dependent on a few factors as always. The general classification of the land, as I said, then the transport for the local area. So if you put in a container park, what's it gonna do to the roads locally? And of course, what they're gonna want to know is what about access to the actual site? So when you're drawing up your plans, you really need to be thinking about the vehicle access into the site and how they can access all those different um, units and how they can get around the site and out the door or out the gate and also how they're going to do that whilst others are on the same site. So sometimes there's a bit more land eaten up than you maybe want. But the thing to do is try and find somebody who can advise you, whether it's an architect or indeed some of the container suppliers will actually help you with that to actually design up the site as economic and as efficient as possible. And then other things to think about are the site services. So are you just putting in the basics? 
are you actually going to put lighting into the containers themselves? And if you are, it has an impact on planning because they're less movable. The argument about them being movable kind of goes because now you've really anchored them in there with, with lighting and such. And it's going to upgrade the quality of the offer. So some planning authorities may even say to you, well, actually, we need some more services on site here for your customers. So you just have to think about what you're offering is going to have an implication in terms of the local market and whether that's something that the customers are after. But equally, what's it going to do about planning? Is it going to affect planning? Are you going to have to put more in and more cost? And then the last thing about... If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. Analyzing sites is the old one, location, location, location. I'm going to talk about that in marketing on a later episode, but location is important because signage can really bring you in lots of business if you're in a good location where there's enough traffic coming past, seeing your signage, seeing your your number, your website, whatever it is you want to put on there, it has a real impact. And it can be quite valuable because it will cut down the cost on your marketing elsewhere because you're getting this, um, I guess, people driving by and seeing your location. So it can be really important. And interestingly, recently we took on another container site. Its roadside presence was much better than um, some of our other sites and it's allowed us to cross-sell to other sites because this one is giving us lots of inquiries because of the signage. So that was my thoughts on finding and analysing sites. So moving on, let's talk about funding. And Sam Dyer asked, what sort of finance is available for purchase and refinance? So it's a good question. And when we come at commercial from a residential point of view, often the mode that we want to try and do is let's invest in this property, put our deposit down, increase the value by adding in extra space or by redeveloping the site to make it feel and look better and increase the value of the property so that then we can refinance and take our money out and then go buy the next one. But with containers, you don't always have to go and buy them. There are other options here because there's two things here, isn't there? There's buying containers and there's the land side as well. And buying containers themselves is not necessarily looked upon favourably by traditional property lenders because they're not fixed items. But there are actually lots of alternatives. And some suppliers will help you with that. So what they might do is there'll be the obvious straight sale, they'll sell you a container, but they might lease you one or they might do a rent to buy with you. And in the past, we've bought some by higher purchase. And that basically meant I had to give a personal guarantee. So that's one thing. But we only had to put down a 10% deposit 
and pay for the VAT. All suppliers will be charging VAT on this. So we paid 10% deposit plus VAT. The rest was put on higher purchase. Now, the problem, of course, is that means that it's more money up front being paid down quickly, but for 36 months or 60 months, depending on how you, long you want to finance these things, it will eat into your cash flow. But once it's done, then they're paid for. So it's a way of getting a site going um, quicker. But the actual land itself, again, going back to the previous section there about do you try and buy it independent, just a piece of land, or do you buy it with a building? Obviously, buying it with a building which is giving you income is really going to help with the funding on that element. If you're just buying a plot of ground, you're going to find it difficult to fund it up front. When you come to refinance, which Sam had also asked about, a container storage business with containers on a site is not looked at as a property play. It's looked at as a trading business. So your multiple is going to be less. You will be able to get finance for it. We got finance on our recent purchase, but it's based on a multiple of the income um, as a trading business. So your multiple is not going to be 10, for instance, which is often a number in commercial. It's going to be less than that. But because they're higher cash flow, and there's a higher income level, you will be able to get funding out of them and redo them. But as I say, another option, if you've got less capital to spend right now or you don't have some private funding available, then is to lease ground and to lease the containers. But obviously there's more risk there because there's more personal guarantees and if the income doesn't come in, you have to quickly find an alternative for the site. And another thing I just want to quickly talk about on funding is a question about do I go VAT registered for this business if you're kind of doing it separately? And personally, I would prefer business customers, for starters, who always tend to be VAT registered anyway, and that will allow you to claim back VAT, balance it off against your expenditure when you've put it out for the containers in the first place, but not being VAT registered can add 20% to your purchase costs, and to your development costs, and it can be quite a lot of money. And as I say, all these container suppliers, almost all of them, if you're gonna buy any kind of volume, are gonna be charging you VAT. So I would just go VAT registered. So that was the piece about funding. Um, thanks for the question, Sam. And then I want to just go on to talk about cash flow, because there's a few things to think about, a little bit pertaining to the development and the speed that you develop the site out at. But here's a thought. Container sites, if you develop them out slowly, or at least in uh, bite-sized chunks, are going to keep your costs down. So by buying containers in phases, you know, you, you can keep your expenditure down. That's what we've done on, on another site that we have. I think we've got about 40 containers there. We just bought them in phases, and that allowed us to test the market, see whether they suited customer demand, whether it was something they really wanted, whether it was the right size of containers. I mean, all our containers, pretty much all of them are 20 foot. So we have some larger ones, but basically they're all pretty much 20 foot containers. And by doing that phase development, kept cash flow in control, it allowed us to flex with customer demand. And it means also a couple of subtle things. Your first customers don't try to get the price down because there's loads of empty containers. Let's say you've put 50 containers down, you cut the ribbon, here we're open. The problem is the first customers that come in see all these empty containers and will start negotiating on price. Whereas you phase it, there is a bit of a thing about limited supply. When the next ones are coming up, you can pre-sell them because you're telling people the next containers are coming. They're going to be available from 1st of January. Get your name down, get your deposit down. It can help with pre-sales. 
And as I say, you can test the market as you go along. So these are some of the things to think about in terms of cash flow. One other one would be get deposits and payments always up front. So when you've phased it and you bring in maybe the first six or ten containers and you've tried to pre-sell and make sure you get deposits, first thing, and make sure that the payments for the container storage is always up front. It's not in arrears. So if you've somebody renting a container for six months, some of them may want to pay up front the whole lot. Well, okay, you might have to incentivize that. It might help with the cash flow of setting up the site. But if you can make sure that they're always paying up front, then when you get the odd delinquent payer, then at least you've got a deposit and they've paid a month up front or two months up front, whatever it is you want to do. But that will also help, of course, with your cash flow and help make sure that you're keeping your numbers as tight as you can. So just to summarize, let's make sure when you're looking for sites and you're analyzing the sites that you're really looking at the market and the competition, not just other container suppliers or container sites, but all the other bits of the mix of storage. What else is out there and what else are people buying? Where's occupancy really good? What is it that is a gap that you can fill? And with land, my preference is always to add on to an existing building or an existing property. But you can go out there and try and find separate sites. Just your costs and your entry cost is going to be higher. Funding, don't have to put it all in. You don't have to buy all of this yourself. You can lease the land and lease the containers. Or you can do higher purchase, which we've done in the past. Or if you phase it in terms of cash flow, you can buy containers as you go along. If you're developing an income from somewhere else and you're saving some of the income from your containers, you can just basically use that cash flow to buy the containers yourself because the return is so fast on these things. You know, if you buy one for £1,800, it can be paid off within sometimes 18 months, 20 months. It can get paid off very quickly. As I said at the start, some of our containers we've had for 15 years have produced a lot of income over their lifetime. Many times have they paid for themselves. And of course, remember, containers aren't going to be there in 100 years. They do have a lifespan. You know, they're not something that you buy and that's it. You're going to pass them on to the kids and they're going to pass them on to the grandkids. You're going to have to replace them occasionally. But some of those containers we started with 15 years ago, were at the time, were at least 10 years old and they're still going strong. They are built to last in an outdoor environment and a salty environment for when they're on the high sea. So they are pretty robust. But remember, when you're funding, there's lots of different options. You don't have to go and find all the money yourself. Make sure you're VAT registered. I think that's just a must. In terms of cash flow, be cute about how you're developing your site. Do it in phases. Make sure you're taking deposits and payment up front so that it helps with your cash flow. It will also help if you get customers who disappear because that's something that can happen. And I'm going to go into that a little bit later on some of the other parts of this mini series. So I hope that's helped this week. Just a little bit more about container storage. Great sector, as I've said before. I really think you should consider it as part of your mix on a site that you're looking at. As soon as you see some ground, can I put some containers on there? Great little additional income. So look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Please drop into the Facebook group if you have a chance. Put any questions in there, things you'd like us to cover on future podcasts. It was great to have questions on this particular series. But if there's anything else you want to ask about that you think we might be able to help, pop it in there. I'll try and answer it in the Facebook group. Or indeed, if I think there's a longer answer there, I'll try and do a podcast for you. So thanks very much for your support. Thank you for the reviews and for all the downloads. Really appreciate it. We'll speak to you again very soon. Thank you.